Well, good morning, church, family. It's great to be with you again this morning. If you happen to be uh, new or visiting, just wanna say uh, welcome to you. Uh, my name is Chris, and this morning we're gonna be wrapping up our Hope in Exile series that we've really, we've been in all, all summer long. It's been a fantastic series. It's really uh, stretched me, kind of forced me to go deeper into this incredible little letter written by the Apostle Peter. And so we're gonna kind of wrap it up, put a bow on it uh, together this morning. And then next Sunday, we're gonna be launching into our fall series called Encounters with Jesus. And so I just wanna encourage you as we kind of prepare to, to launch into fall, I know things are still you know, kind of weird with all the COVID stuff, but just let me, let me encourage you as we launch into fall, we start this brand new series, uh, think about somebody that you could invite to that series, whether you invite them to join with you via live stream at 10 a.m. or whether you invite them to come with you in person to our evening service on, on the lawn. I think it's gonna be really good uh, for those who are perhaps still exploring the Christian faith. Maybe they're, they're on the fence, kind of what, what's this Jesus guy all about? What is Christianity all about? I think this series is gonna answer some of those questions. And so again, just be thinking about if you're part of our faith family, somebody, one person, a neighbor, coworker, classmate, friend, whatever, that you could just invite to be with you uh, in this Encountering Jesus series. Also, just as a way of reminder, uh, worship night coming up one week from today. So it'd be next Sunday, 7 p.m. on the lawn, our first worship night of 2020. So let me just encourage you to make plans to be there for that. We'll be socially distanced, all the whole nine yards will have masks for you. Everything would be a really safe environment outdoors, just encourage you to, to come to that. Also, a great opportunity perhaps to, to bring a friend. Well, as I said, we've been in First Peter, this Hope in Exile series all summer long, and really the, the entire letter, the Apostle Peter has been teaching these believers primarily about two things, suffering and hope. And to me, that's one of the things that makes the Christian faith uniquely beautiful. The reality is everybody suffers in this life, right? Nobody, nobody escapes this life without having experienced suffering, and so it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or a Buddhist or an atheist or agnostic, we, we all suffer in this world. But Christianity actually offers a, a framework for us both to understand and give purpose to our suffering, which to me makes all the difference in the world. So as followers of Christ, we suffer just like everyone else, but we never ever suffer without hope, and we never ever suffer alone. So as the apostle Peter kinda, kinda winds this letter down, brings it to a close, he's gonna tell us how to finish our race in this life strong, okay? So that, that's kinda how we're gonna structure this morning's message, our time together, how to finish our race in this life strong. And so Peter's gonna kinda lay out four ways that we as followers of Christ can do that. Now, I think I may have told you guys this story, but when I was in elementary school, I lived in, in South America, and, um, and, I, and I ran track because we didn't have football, baseball, basketball, all the typical kind of American sports down there, and everybody down there had been playing soccer since they uh, came out of their mother's womb, and so I was, I was not really good enough to play soccer with those guys, even in elementary school, but, but I was pretty fast, and, and so I ran track for, for my school, and I can remember this one track meet. We were uh, we were competing against this this private German school, and they were they were really good. I mean, they were they were like the champs, 
And I was, I was a sprinter, so I, all I had ever done, and I'm like, keep in mind, I'm like eight or nine years old, so it's not like we're doing, you know, tons of intense training, but the only thing I'd ever done is, is sprints, very, very kind of short distance runs, and I was, I was decent at that. And we get to the, to the track meet against, again, this really elite, private uh, German school that are like all incredible runners. And something happens to one of our more like long distance or mid, mid-distance runners. I think he got hurt. He got sick or something. And so my coach comes up to me and he says, hey, Chris, I know you're running these, these sprints, but could you run this, this, this longer distance race? And I was like, hey, I'm eight, nine years old. I, I don't know any better. I'm like, hey, sure, yeah, I'll, I'll run this race. Now, looking back on it, I, my, my coach really should have prepped me. He should, he should have said, hey, Chris, look, this is a longer race. You need to pace yourself. Like, you're, you're used to just going as fast as you can, as hard as you can, as long as you can, and it's all good because it's short. This is a longer race. If you do that, it's not gonna go well for you. He didn't tell me that. He just said, hey, run this race, and I didn't know any better. So I, I, we kind of get up to the line, and I'm thinking, okay, let's, let's do this, and I, we take off, and I'm, I'm sprinting. And again, that's all I know to do. And so I, I look back about halfway around the track, and I'm killing everybody. I mean, like the closest guy behind me is maybe 20 yards, 25 yards away. And I'm thinking in my mind, this is incredible. I am way better than I thought I was. I, I'm really good at not only the short stuff, I'm actually pretty good at the long stuff as well. And we kept on running. All of a sudden, my, my lungs started to burn. And my, and my legs started to hurt, and they felt like they weighed a million pounds. And I was like, what is this feeling? What, what is happening? And I, and I started slowing down. And even though I was trying to run fast, my body wouldn't cooperate. And one by one, these guys that were 50 yards behind me started passing me. And so my goal, all of a sudden, halfway through the race, changes from winning the race to not finishing last. Okay, so my, my goal completely changed in the middle of the race. And we come around the, the last bend, and guys are passing me. And I look back, I've got about 10 yards to the finish, there's one guy left behind me. I'm like, I've got, I've got to be this guy. And so I'm giving it all I got, but I got nothing left in the tank. And right as we cross the finish line, he like puts his head ahead and he, he nudges me out. And I finish dead last in the race. And I look, I, I started out the race really, really strongly, but I finished really poorly. And what Peter's gonna tell us today is, look, Jesus wants us to run our race in this life well and to finish strong. Not just to start strong, to finish strong. And the sad reality is, and if you've been around long enough, you know what I'm talking about, I have seen far too many Christians who start the Christian race and life well, and you meet them when they're young, man, they're like in high school, they're in college, they're in their early 20s, and man, they are on fire for the Lord. They're excited about Jesus. And then you meet them 15 years later, or 20 years later, and you're like, man, what, what happened to you? Somewhere along the way, they just kind of, the fire burned out. They got married, and they had a few kids, and they got a mortgage, and they got a job, and what, they got, they're busy kind of running their kids to soccer practice or ballet or whatever it is, and somewhere along the way, they're not running at the same pace that they started out at. And Peter's gonna tell us this morning that's actually not what Jesus wants for us at all. Now look, I, I don't know about you, but I don't wanna start my race well and then limp across the finish line. In this life, man, I, I, wanna, I wanna, at the end of my life, I wanna hit the tape running full speed. That's, that's what I want. That's what Jesus wants for us as his followers. But friend, listen to me, that doesn't happen by accident. 
that will never happen in your life by accident. There, there are certain things, characteristics, that are going to have to mark my life and your life in order for that to happen. And so Peter's gonna give that to us this morning. Let's dig right in, 1 Peter chapter five, beginning in verse six, and we're gonna finish up uh, the letter this morning. This is what Peter writes. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Now, if you remember last week, if you were tuned in last week, Peter was hitting on the subject of humility, right? He talked about, hey, listen, the, the church body is supposed to humbly follow church leaders as church leaders humbly follow Jesus and scripture. And then he kind of closed out last week by saying, listen, all of you guys, church leaders, church body, you need to clothe yourselves with humility, and this week he picks right back up on the topic of humility, except this time Peter is saying to these followers of Jesus, who again, are, they're exiled, right? They're up in Asia Minor in the Roman Empire. They're, they're exiled, they're suffering, they're being persecuted. He's saying, listen guys, you need to humble yourselves. You need to humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God because at the right time, in due time, God is the one who will exalt you. In other words, listen, no, no matter how bad your suffering may feel right now in the moment, Peter is saying, listen, believer, the day is coming when God will rescue you from your pain and he will rescue you from your suffering and your circumstances if you will just humble yourselves and entrust your life and the circumstances of your life into his loving and his powerful Hands. And so what Peter's gonna do again, as I mentioned before, he's gonna give us four ways that we can run to finish our race strong. And number one this morning, he says, believer, press into God when pain seems pointless. Pre press into God when the pain in your life seems pointless. Church, listen, we, we have to learn how to trust God in our suffering. Now just uh, to be completely transparent, if, if you're anything like me, when pain enters my life, when suffering enters my life, my first reflex tends to be to try to fix it in my own strength and to fight it, to fix and fight. That, that, that really, that's kind of my, my first instinct when these kind of things enter my life. My first instinct is rarely to embrace pain in my life and to say, God, listen, I don't, I, I don't know why you've allowed this into my, my life, God. I, I wouldn't choose this for myself, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna humble myself. As Peter said, I'm gonna humble myself before your mighty hand, and I'm just gonna trust that you're gonna work this situation out for my good. That is rarely my first instinct when pain enters my life. And see, I, I think the real reason many of us, many of us, even those of us who would claim to be followers of Jesus, struggle mightily when suffering knocks on the doors of our lives is because really deep down, we don't believe we can trust God. Like we would never, we, I don't think we would ever say that out loud or like post that on social media. Like I'm a Christian, but I don't really think I can trust God, and so that's why I act like a fool when I suffer or pain enters my life. Like we would never say that, but the reality is deep down, I think the reason so many of us struggle when pain enters our life and suffering or persecution is deep down, we don't really believe that we can trust God. And Peter is just simply reminding us of this glorious truth that God is not only loving, but he is powerful. And he is a good father. 
And he is, he is for us as his children. And so we can trust that anything that God allows into our lives, that ultimately he will use for our good and for his glory. I think back to the, the story of, of Joseph, if you're not familiar with that uh, story in the Old Testament. Joseph had all these older brothers who were uh, really jealous of him for a variety of, of reasons. And, and one day they're, they're kind of out somewhere in the wilderness and they have this idea that they're gonna kill him and then one of the brothers talks him out of it and so they, they kind of throw him in this pit and then some slave traders come by and they decide they actually sell their little bro into slavery, all right? And then they, they take his coat and they rip it up and they kill an animal and put animal blood on it and take it back to his, his father and say, hey, look, an animal apparently got Joseph, killed him, he's gone. Almost, almost wrecked their father, almost killed their father with grief. And Joseph ends up as a, as a slave in Egypt and he's faithful to God the whole time and he gets betrayed again. We don't have time to go into the whole story, but he gets betrayed a second time as he tries to walk with the Lord and be faithful to the Lord, he gets betrayed again. He ends up in prison. And through it all, God somehow miraculously delivers Joseph. He ends up as the, most, the second most powerful man in the world. A famine strikes the world. His bros, who think he's dead at this point, come to Egypt. They're begging for food because they're starving to death. They don't even recognize their brother. Right? He's, he's, a, he's in command. He's in charge of pretty much the whole country. And so they're standing before him one day, the little brother that they betrayed, that they left for dead, and Joseph recognizes them. And after he regains his composure, he looks at them and he says these words. Listen, listen to his words to his brothers who betrayed him. Like nobody has betrayed anybody, I don't think. This is what he, this is what he says. What you meant for evil, he says to his brothers. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. I love that. What you meant for evil, God meant for good in my life. Joseph had unlocked the code of the purpose of suffering. He unlocked it for it. I appreciate the way uh, Tim Keller, pastor in New York City, put it. This will be on the screens for you. This is what Keller says. He says, God will only give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. God will only give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything that he knows. Friends, our, our as human beings, our, our scope of understanding is so limited, it's so finite, that for us to not trust in God's sovereign goodness in our lives, even over our suffering and pain, is actually, what Peter's saying here, it's actually arrogance. Now, we, we don't tend to think of it in those terms, but what else but arrogance could cause us to say to the God of this universe, God, you messed up. God, what, what are you doing? God, I, I know how to do this better than you. God, why me? God, why not? What else could cause us to question the perfect God of this universe except for arrogance? And that's why Peter says to these believers who are suffering, listen, you gotta, you gotta humble yourself. You gotta, you gotta learn to walk in humility as you walk with the Lord. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. He's saying, listen, believers, beloved, brother, sister, suffer well. Walk with God through your pain and he will exalt you in due time. So again, number one, press into God when the pain seems pointless. Then he moves on to verse seven, he says this, Casting all of your anxieties 
on him. Why? Because he, God, cares for you. Now, how many of you who are tuned in right now would have to say that you're, you're anxious about something in your life? I just imagine that probably almost all of us, if we're being honest, would have to raise our hands to that question and say, yes, absolutely, there's at least one thing, if not multiple things that are causing anxiety to well up in my mind and in my heart right now. And I don't know what it is for you. Maybe for you it's a, it's a health thing right now, especially right now, the situation that we have going on in our world. Maybe for you it's a, it's a job thing that you're just, you're anxious about, you're kind of unsure about the future. Maybe for you it's a relational thing. Maybe for you if you're, if you're single, perhaps you have anxiety, this kind of anxiety, will, will, will I ever find the, the right person to marry? Maybe if you're married and, and you don't yet have kids, there's anxiety of like, man, can we, can we have kids? Or if you already have kids, you're anxious about how their life's gonna go, right? Maybe for you, you're anxious about the economy right now. Maybe you're, you have anxiety over the, the virus. Maybe you feel a little bit of anxiety about the, the upcoming election in November, right? Anxiety is just kind of, it just seems like this, this massive problem in our society. I just did a, a quick Google search this week when I was, when I was studying, and, and get this, 40 million adults in America, all right? So we're not talking about teenagers, we're not talking about kids. 40 million adults have been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. And that's only the ones that have actually gone in and been diagnosed. Listen, this is a massive, this is a massive problem in our culture, in our society. Anxiety just, it's kind of in the air wherever we go. And the interesting thing to me is, is the word that Peter uses here in the Greek for anxiety, it literally means to be, to be drawn or to be torn in different directions. And isn't that exactly what anxiety does to us? In our hearts, in, in, our, in our minds, right? Our, our, our minds start to race and this thought here carries us in, in one direction and then we have this other thought or we re, read a different news report and it kind of carries us in another direction and just begins to rip our emotions apart robs us of peace, makes our lives just really feel kind of out of control, makes us fearful when we get up in the morning. And Peter is saying to us in this text right now, believer, that is not for you. That, that is the child of God. That is not for you. That, that is not what God wants for you. Instead, what God wants for you when these feelings kind of emerge and come to the surface in your heart and your mind is for you to, to cast your anxieties on God. Why? Because he's a good dad. Because he's a good dad and he cares for you. He loves you. And this word that Peter uses is that when he says cast your anxiety, it's this, this picture, as I understand it, of someone taking off like, a, like an outer garment, like a cloak or a coat, and actually throwing it onto something else, right? It's not just this idea of like taking it off and setting it by close by so you could pick it back up. It's this idea of taking it off and throwing it way over there. And so that's the second way that we run to finish strong in this life. Number two, believer, you've gotta hurl, you gotta cast, launch your anxieties on the God who cares for you. Cast them, throw them, hurl them, launch them. This is a picture of confidently, boldly launching all of your worries onto the God who gladly receives them. It's like, hey kid, g give me those things. Th throw it over here. 
Don't even keep it close by you. Launch, launch that baby over here. I'm gonna take care of it for you. And so we learn to take our anxiety as followers of Jesus to God. We don't let those thoughts marinate in our minds. We don't let them marinate in our souls. And immediately, as soon as they begin to enter our minds and hearts, begin to take us captive and control us with fear and anxiety, we, we launch them, we hurl them, we cast them to God. How do we do that? Well, we do it through prayer. We do it through meditating on his word, his promises in his word. We do that by confessing our anxiety and fears to one another in community, which is really important. And one reason why we're constantly just kind of laying before you, hey, hey guys, you need to be in community. If you're not in community, you need to find a community group, you need to find a Bible study because the reality is this, this is really, really hard. What Peter is saying is really, really hard for us to accomplish in our life without community. Prayer, reading his word, meditating on his promises, confessing these things in community and slowly what happens is we begin to disarm the power anxiety holds in our lives. And listen, God, God wants you, you need to understand this believer, God wants you to walk in freedom. God wants you to walk in freedom. You, you have to be free in order to run this race called life well and to finish strong. So cast your anxiety, launch your, hurl your anxieties onto your good father who cares for you. Look at verse eight, Peter continues on. He says, be sober-minded. And be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Now, this is one we don't talk about a whole lot because, listen, when you start talking about Satan and kind of the demonic realm, some people just feel like you're getting a little too weird, you're getting a little, kind of like a little woo-woo, a little superstitious. People get a little bit weirded out when you start talking about that. But listen, Jesus talked about the spiritual realm often. The disciples addressed it often. The prophets in the Old Testament addressed it often. And so listen, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm telling you this, and this is, if you're a follower of Christ, this is not something that you should be afraid of, but I want you to know right now, the spiritual realm is very, very real. And our enemy is very, very real. Now, now having said that, I think there's, there's kind of this misconception, I guess, in cultures, even in, in the church, and there's kind of this thought that that, that Jesus and Satan are kind of on equal playing fields in terms of power. And so maybe Jesus is right here, and, and, but, but the devil, Satan's like right, right really close by. And that, you need to understand that that's wrong. That's not true at all. It's like Jesus is, is way up here in ter terms of power and authority, and our enemy, Satan, is, is way down here. Like there, there's a gulf between their power. So we need to understand that. Nevertheless, what Peter's saying is we have a very powerful, a very experienced, a very cunning enemy, and his primary goal in his life and in your life is to devour you, to rip you apart, to shred you into little pieces, to make you doubt, to make you question, to make you fear. In fact, I think it's really interesting that, that, that Peter doesn't compare our enemy to like a, a quiet little snake who kind of just sneaks up 
on you and like bite you on the foot or something. No, he says, he says he's a roaring lion. In other words, your enemy, our collective enemy, he wants to intimidate you. He wants to drive you into anxiety and fear and doubt. He wants you to question and second guess God's goodness and maybe even his existence in your life. Now, most Christians that I know tend to make one of two mistakes when it comes to the, the spiritual realm, right? So Satan, demonic powers, all that kind of stuff. One of two mistakes, really common. Either believers tend to obsess over it, and so like everything, everything bad in their lives is, is the devil, right? So, uh, you know, the, the toaster burns their toast in the morning, and it's like, oh man, the devil's really, he's after me, he's after me today. I just want to say, sir, just you might want to turn the, the toaster setting down a little bit. I'm not, not exactly sure that that's, that's Satan or spiritual warfare, right? Or they get a speeding ticket. And it's like, man, the, man the, get behind me, Satan. The demons are working overtime against me today. Not today, devil. And you just kind of want to say, ma'am, you might, you might just want to slow down and, and drive the, the speed limit. So, so some people, it's just they, they obsess over kind of the spiritual realm, the demonic realm, everything that happens is, is the devil after them, and I think that's a mistake that we make. But we also make a, a mistake on the other end of the spectrum. And, and I'm prone to this mistake, and that is to dismiss the spiritual realm entirely, the spiritual realm around me. And what happens when we do that, and it's easy for us to do as, as educated Westerners, what happens when we dismiss the spiritual realm that's active all around us, even though we can't see it, is we become blind to the activity of our enemy in our lives. Now listen, both of those things are lethal mistakes, obsessing over it, as well as dismissing it. But I'm convinced, man, especially in matters of, of division and conflict, more times than not, those type of things have the fingerprints of our enemy all over them, almost always. But see, the reality is for most of us, we're so out of tune with the roaring lion in our life that's actually driving our anxiety and driving our fear and driving division in our relationships that we end up fighting the wrong enemy in our lives. See, we begin, we get to, we begin to, to blame other people in our lives. We begin, to, we begin to hate other people. We begin to blame ourselves. Maybe we begin to experience a little self-hatred, right? Is that, I just want, this is like an old football axiom. Like you, you cannot hit what you cannot see, right? You, you can't hit what you can't see. So Peter's like, look, look, beloved, you need to be alert. You, you need to be alert. You need to stand firm. You need to resist your enemy. You need to fight him. And as you do that, he reminds us. He says, look, remember, you're not alone. You're not alone. You have brothers and sisters all over the world who are with you, who are fighting the same fight that you're fighting against, the same enemy that you're fighting against. And they are walking through suffering just like you are, and they are with you. Now, sometimes we forget that, don't we? We're kind of tucked away in our little American bubble over here, and we forget. We have, we have brothers and sisters in Nigeria, <laughs> in Iran, in China, in countless other places, and we forget that our brothers and sisters are experiencing suffering today in ways that we can never even really imagine. And Peter is reminding us, believer, you don't ever suffer, walk this life alone. A, we have a savior who walks with us, but B, we also have millions upon millions of brothers and sisters who we will spend eternity with forever that walk this path of suffering and fighting and resisting with us. Because of that, the third way that Peter gives us to, to run our race well, 
so that we can finish our race strong. Number three, Peter says, listen, believer, keep your head on a swivel. Keep your head on a swivel. We have an enemy, a real enemy. You, you gotta be alert. You gotta be, you gotta be ready for his activity in your life. Don't be ignorant to it. Have you ever, let me just ask you a question. Have you ever been somewhere, maybe late at night, a place that you just knew was dangerous? Like you, you're driving middle of the night. <clears throat> I don't know, maybe you get off the wrong exit in a city and you're like, oh man, this is, this is not good. This is, I, need to, I need to exit this place fast. Um, Cheryl and I, we, we lived in a, in a country for, for two and a half years with um, active uh, terrorist cells. So uh, Al-Qaeda, uh, a bunch of other uh, terrorist organizations were, were, were present there, had strongholds there. And uh, the, the place that we worked, English Center, we got bomb calls, threats all the time. And before we went over there, um, we, we actually went to seven weeks of training and they, they told us, they brought in these experts on hostage training, all this kind of stuff. And they, they told us, hey, listen, don't, don't, ever, don't drive the same route. So if you leave for work, don't, don't leave at 8 a.m. every morning and take a ride out of your neighborhood. Don't, you know, go 7.30 one day, 9.30 the next day. 10, you, can't, you can't have a pattern. You've got to always mix up how you do things. And so for, for two and a half years, I, I, I was almost always on high alert. And so I'd go into a restaurant I'd look for the back table where I could have my back against the wall so I could see the whole place. I could see who was coming in, who was coming out, right? Uh, for two and a half years, every time I was driving, I was looking in my mirrors, saying, hey, is, is this car following me too long? What, what's this guy doing? Making sure they're turning off. But whenever I'd walk somewhere, if I heard noises around me, I'd kind of spin around, just make sure I was aware of my surroundings, man. For, so for two and a half years, I was really just kind of constantly on high alert, constantly scanning, constantly looking, constantly watching. And Peter's saying, listen, Christian, that, that really is, is kind of how you should live your life. Be on, be on high alert. Sniff out the activity of your enemy, which includes, by the way, making you anxious and fearful. And Peter's saying, no, 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 no. Be alert to the activity of your enemy, Christian. Sniff it out. And then when you recognize that anxiety, when you recognize that fear, cast it on God. It doesn't belong to you. That's his burden to bear. You cast it on your good father. You resist the enemy. And now we get to what I think is the best part, verse 10. Peter kind of saves the best for last there. Watch what he says in verse 10. He says, and after you have suffered for a little while, after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now again, here, here's where it gets really good to me. Peter goes, yes, suffering is real. And that's one of the things I love about the Bible. The Bible does not sugarcoat reality. Yes, your suffering is real. Yes, your pain is tangible, but guess what? Peter goes, it's just for a little while. It's only for a little while. In the scope of eternity, whatever pain that you're going through right now, no matter how much it hurts in the moment, it is not going to last forever. As one pastor I heard this week said, our, our pain in this life is like a thimble full of pain in a sea of eternal glory. I love that. Our pain, our suffering in this life is like a like a thimble full in a sea of eternal glory. So when you read, uh, if you're a history buff, if you read accounts of uh, wars, World War II, World War I, one, some other wars, prisoners of war um, who have suffered in unspeakable ways, but 
have, have survived their, their imprisonment, one of the things that almost all of them will say is the thing that carried them through those horrible nights and those days and weeks and months of torture, the one thing that carried them through was hope. Hope that their suffering had an end date. Hope that one day they would be rescued from their suffering. That is almost always what separates prisoners of war who make it and those who don't make it. The ones with hope survive. Let me say that again. The ones with hope are the ones that survive. Why don't you listen to what the apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, he says this. For this light momentary affliction, he's talking about our suffering, our pain in this life. He calls it a light momentary affliction. He said it's preparing for us, in other words, as purpose in your life, it is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And so what Peter is doing and what Paul is doing is he, he's dropping us a lifeline in a sea of pain. He's going, hey, Christian, hey, beloved, hold on. Hold on just a little while longer. Don't, don't give up. Don't, don't walk away from your faith in Jesus. I know it hurts, but this is, listen, this is just for a little while. Your rescue, your deliverance is so, so close. It's so near. Hold on. What's this rescue look like? Look back at verse 10. Peter says, the God of all grace, who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to him, be the dominion forever and ever. Peter says, the God of all grace. I love that our God is a God of grace, don't you? I love that our God is a God of grace, who has called us, Peter says, to this eternal glory in Christ. Christian, that is our future. Not our present pain. That is our future, eternal glory with Jesus forever. And he says, he will himself. I love that. He will himself. I, I, just, I love that language. In other words, God is not sending someone else to rescue us. He's not sending a, a messenger on his behalf. He's not sending a mediary or an errand boy angel to do his work and rescue us. He says, he himself is gonna rescue you. He says he will do four things. He's gonna come when he returns in all of his glory. He's gonna restore, he's gonna confirm, he's gonna strengthen, and he's gonna establish you. When Jesus returns, everything you've lost, believer, he's restoring it all. Everything you've lost in this life, everything that you've ever lost, he's restoring it all. Every tear you've cried, he's wiping them all away forever. Every injustice that you've endured, every time you've been wrong, he's making all of those things right in the new heavens and the new earth. And you will be with him in that perfect state forever and ever and ever and ever. And as Peter thinks about this glorious thought, it's almost like he can't help himself. He just kind of bursts into praise to God. He's like, man, to, to him be the glory, to him be the dominion forever and ever, amen. So friend, and this is, this is the last one, to run your race well, to finish your race strong, you must, believer, always remember how your story ends. You gotta remember how your story ends. So here, look, here, here's what I found to be true. We are all born 
with this desire for happily ever after, right? That's why girls, they come out of the womb and they, they play with princesses and they, they dress up like a princess and boys have the swords and they wanna be the hero of the story, man. That's why kids love these types of movies where the princess is rescued by the prince and then they ride off into the sunset and they live happily ever after. That's why the best movies, like the blockbusters, like The Wizard of Oz and Star Wars and Nacho Libre, like all the classics, man, they all fall Follow the same theme line, pain, ruin, and then rescue happily ever after. We love that. And the reason we love that is not because that's a construct of our society or culture that is baked into, that story is baked into our DNA by our creator. That's why little boys come out playing a part. That's why little girls come out playing a part. That's why at 40, I love movies like, I love movies like that where there's pain, there's suffering, and all of a sudden there's rescue, there's happily ever after. But here's what tends to happen as we go through life and we experience pain, we experience suffering in life. We begin to not believe in happily ever after anymore. And we become jaded in life. And we become cynical. And we ultimately even begin to doubt that happily ever after is even possible. And what Peter is saying to believers here is not only is it possible for you, it is a certainty for you. Child of God, follower of Jesus who's walking in suffering, the, the only thing that awaits you is rescue and happily ever after in the kingdom of Jesus. Like That is how your story will end. That's a fact, it's a certainty, it's a guarantee. And so I don't know where you are this morning, what you're going through. I don't know if you're walking through a season of physical pain or emotional pain or relational wounds. Or I, don't, I have no idea what's besetting your soul this very moment. But if you're a follower of Jesus, know this. That is not how your story ends. It's never how your story is going to end. Because Peter's saying Jesus is coming back again. And when he gets here, he's going to fix everything when he arrives. And the only thing you will know from that day forward forever and ever, ever is peace and joy. And that is real hope. That's the kind of hope that can carry you through a lifetime of pain and suffering. And that is the kind of hope that will help you run your race well and to finish your race strong. Peter closes out in verses, starting in verse 12, he says, by Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I've written briefly to you. Silvanus is uh, thought to be a companion of the apostle Paul and Peter, so he's a, a faithful brother in the ministry. He likely was the, the carrier of this letter from Peter to these churches in, in Rome or in, in northern Rome. And he says, I've written briefly to you. Silvanus has brought the letter to you. I've written to you exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. He's saying, what I've told you in this letter is absolutely true. Never doubt it. Jesus is coming again. Your suffering is temporary. Your glory will be forever. Thir verse 13, he says, she who is at Babylon, he's uh, referencing the, the church in Rome here. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Even in his closing, Peter is saying to these believers, you are not alone. 
You're not alone. Sylvanus is here with me. Mark is here with me. The church in Rome, I just talked to them. We're all thinking about you. We're all praying for you and your pain and your suffering. And you need to understand that we're a big family. We're all in this together. So stand firm. We got your back. Jesus is coming back again soon. Give each other a kiss of love. I'm not sure how we can really do that right now with with COVID. But the point is, love one another, y'all. Love each other. Care for one another. These are are tough times. And we're with you. Jesus is coming back. But but y'all need to to care for each other. Y'all need to love each other well. And in due time, God will deliver us from our suffering. And our suffering in this moment will be a distant memory as we bask in the eternal glory of the kingdom and its king. Listen, Christian, follower of Jesus, we have a bright future ahead of us. So let's run our race well. Let's suffer with hope in our hearts and a glimmer in our eyes because our exaltation is coming. Let's pray and then we'll sing. Father, you are so good to us. You are good, your character is good. Your word to us is good. God, and you, you are good on the sunny days when everything seems to be going well in our lives, when the, the birds are out and they're singing. You're good on those days. And listen, you, you are also just as good on the stormy days, God, where we can't even see past our, our pain, our suffering, our circumstances. And so God, would you, would you help us as your children, as your followers to press in to you, to, to trust you, God. Help us to resist our enemy who seeks to fill us with doubts and discouragement and anxiety and fear. God, would you remind us every day in those moments where we're tempted to despair, we're tempted to be discouraged, we're tempted to live by fear instead of by faith, we're tempted to be filled with anxiety instead of filled with hope. On those days, God, would you remind us of how our story ends so that we could run our race well, so that we could finish strong. God, would you empower us even today, even in this moment, by your spirit to live beautiful lives that tell your story to others, God. And we pray all of these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.